Support for this podcast comes from you and Yankwich & Associates, since 1997 working to provide expert, responsive service in intellectual property law to biotech, biopharmaceutical, and biochemical companies worldwide. More information at yankwich.com. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When most people create something new, it's small scale, a shed in the backyard, a small business. What it is not, usually, is a village. But there are exceptions. Judy Cockerton used to be a small businesswoman. She owned toy stores. Then she started to think bigger. I met her on a cold day in central Massachusetts in the village that she built. And she wants villages like this all around the country. She's actually already at work on one in California. They're for kids and they're for two other groups of people. People who have or people who want to adopt those kids and senior citizens who are often done raising their own families, but they are not done wanting to nurture a new generation. The young people who live here, it's called Treehouse Village, have to meet a single criteria. They're foster care kids, or at least they once were. To understand why Judy Cockerton would want to build these places for kids, you've got to go back to a dinner that she had about 20 years ago. We were at dinner, uh, my husband and our two children and I, and um, he's a newspaper man, he's a photojournalist, and he said one night, here's an article that I think would be, you'd find interesting. And um, I had owned my own businesses for almost 20 years. I loved my work. I was not looking for anything else to do. And this was a little story about a, a baby boy, a five-month-old baby boy living in Worcester in a foster home who was kidnapped from his crib in the middle of the day. I was a teacher, I was a mom, I was a businesswoman, and that article was such a catalyst for me. I remember saying to my kids, who were 12 and 18 at the time, can you come back? They were putting their dishes in the sink. Can you come back and sit down? Because we need to have a family meeting. Mm -hmm. And um, we talked about our public foster care system and that it's our public foster care system and that things like this should never happen. And what were we going to do as a family to help support the work of the Department of Children and Families so that children were never involved in situations like this? And we decided that we wanted to be a foster family. And you just had this meeting even though foster care had never been a part of your life right. or you knew nothing about it. Right, right. Do you think that's unusual? I mean, think about how many stories people read in the newspaper about, you know, wars and terribly sad things that happen in, in our country and other countries. And mostly then you just clean up after mm -hmm. dinner. You clean mm -hmm. up after breakfast or whatever. I don't know. I think this this uh, this story just just really caught me. My husband knew it would. <laughs> I always say the reason that we became foster parents was because you gave me an article. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, it just uh, it just hooked me. I was 48 years old, and I had been serving children like my own children, children of privilege, children who had so many wonderful opportunities and so many wonderful resources. And I just uh, began reading everything I could get my hands on. I'd say, you know, by the time children were placed in our home, I really felt like I had learned three really important things. The first one is we have set our children, our child welfare system up to fail because we say, here, have a little bit of money. Your mandate is to take care of the most challenging and vulnerable children and families, and we'll only pay attention if something goes wrong. 
Yeah, so um, that was the first thing I learned, that we had set our, our child welfare system up to fail. The second thing I learned is that every year in this country, 25,000 young Americans age out of our foster care system alone at risk for homelessness, incarceration, lives of poverty, teen parenting, unemployment. Basically, they are the next generation of poor and homeless Americans. So that was a, a really big reality check for me. In fact, that was the statistic that grabbed me by the ankle and would not let me go. That was the statistic that led me to create the Treehouse community. So, you know, you read this article... It kind of changes the way that you think about foster care. You bring a foster care child into your life, a little baby girl. How old was she? Five months old. Five months old. At what point do you think, and also, I'm going to start a town? <laughs> because that's a big leap, right? Yes, a lot yes. of, you know, there you've got people who certainly um, help with foster care, but that you've done something bigger than I think most people. Well, I remember do. standing in the Lego section of my toy store in Brookline called No Kidding, and I was in the Lego section rocking my little one to sleep. She was in her little baby Bjorn carrier, and I was thinking about everything I'd learned. I was thinking about the fact that I had learned that we had set our child welfare system up to fail, that 25,000 young people age out of foster care alone every year. I also realized that most Americans think there are only two ways they can support a child placed in care. You either become a foster parent or you adopt a child from care. And if you can't do that, then there's nothing else to do. This is how people think about it. And so the result is millions of Americans turn and walk away from children in their communities, the children who need them the most. So I'm rocking the baby to sleep, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've learned all these things. What can I do as a teacher, as a 48-year-old citizen? What can I do to help flip the paradigm, the current paradigm? And... Um, that was really the moment I began re-envisioning foster care in America because I thought, okay, if I can get those millions of Americans to stop and turn around and come back and become resources to children placed in foster care, that would really make a difference. Did you ever worry before it was built or while it was getting built, what if people don't move in with their kids? Or what if seniors don't want to do this. Like, they're not their kids. They're not their grandkids. Do you know what I mean? What What if we get maybe a couple people, but, but I'm building a town here and we're going to need to populate it? Um, I never worried about it once because as a foster adoptive parent myself, I knew that the need for foster adoptive parents to be supported and not be isolated out in random communities across the Commonwealth, when you're in isolation, you fail. And so I knew that there were lots of families like my family that would love living in a community where their needs were being met and supported and uh, the health and well-being of their family was being supported and that they were being strengthened as a family. And I just knew so many wonderful elders who wanted to live lives of meaning and purpose. So I'm 65. Um, and elders who come to live at Treehouse are 55 and older. And elders living on Treehouse Circle right now are 58 
to 95. Hmm. And the majority of those folks are women. And they are women who love children, have raised children, whose families may be too busy to be involved with them in the ways that they have energy to be involved with. Perhaps they live in other states. But these are vibrant women who want to give back and men as well. Um, But these are seniors who really want to be living lives of meaning and purpose and don't want to be living with just one age group who want to be part of something big. Many states have struggled. Uh, Massachusetts has struggled. New York has struggled. Mississippi has struggled with maintaining their foster care system. What is it about managing a foster care system on the state level that is so difficult? I mean, you think about there's all these class action lawsuits against the foster care system. There's something that must be very, very difficult for the people who work in it, even as social workers and everything, to manage this? And why haven't we figured it out in America yet? Well, I think standing on the front lines as a foster parent, what I saw is that social workers are young and inexperienced often. They are dealing with very, very complex families with very, very complex challenges. And they are um, oftentimes given way too many caseloads. So they're overwhelmed, they're under-resourced, and it takes us to be able to step up and say, wait a minute, there must be a better way to do this. Without us, they cannot do their work. How much of a complication do you think the opioid slash heroin epidemic has created for the foster system in every state? I think it's overwhelmed the child welfare system in every single state because there are so many uh, young children and youth coming into the system uh, because of it. Have you seen, so, you know, Treehouse Village has been around for just about a decade. Have you seen things really change in a decade in terms of drug use and how that impacts kids? Well, I just know from our child welfare partners that there are many, many young children coming into care as a result of the opioid addiction Mm -hmm. epidemic, Mm -hmm. and that they need as many people to step up to the plate to support those infants, toddlers, preschoolers, um, and and elementary age children as possible. That is such a tough situation that you've got a bunch of people with really young kids, but they can't really help them in the way that they probably wouldn't like to and, and absolutely you know it takes it's 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 an engaged citizenry that will help the department of children and families become successful hmm. how has um running this kind of little village starting it up how has it changed you in the last decade. Do you feel different? Oh, I feel like I'm a much better human being. Not that I wasn't a nice person before, but I just feel like I have come into contact with so many fabulous people of all ages and backgrounds, Um, people who are struggling mightily, who have taught me about humility and strength and grit and resilience and 
uh, grace um, and people, philanthropists who who would invest in this mission and vision in large ways because they understand the importance of it. That's very humbling as well. So I feel like from um, all places on the spectrum, I have learned many, many lessons and uh, continue to every day. No matter where I go, I'm learning something new about how to address a certain issue, how to collaborate with people in a different way. When I owned my own businesses, I was used to turning on a dime. Like if I wanted to change something, I changed it fast, and then I got a new result. You can't necessarily do that when you're working with a child welfare system or you're working with people who are afraid of child welfare in general or who are uh, who just don't have the resources necessary to move quickly. Um, so it's been uh, quite a learning experience for me, quite a journey, and I, I'm very grateful for it. Do you ever feel like it takes an emotional toll on you? No. 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 So you're 65, you said? Yes. Um, do you think you'll still be doing this in 10 years? I hope so. Okay. Retirement so. is not. No, it's not horizon. an option for me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with 25,000 young Americans aging out of foster care every year, you know, as long as I can do this work, I'm here. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in, I always say, onward and upward for the kids. Judy, thank you so much. This is great. It's my pleasure. Thank you. When my producer and I visited Treehouse Village in a small town in central Massachusetts, we got there at tea time. Three days a week, the seniors in the community host this afternoon event where kids can hang out, they can get homework help, there's pie, soup, salad. I really, 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 really like how I have friends here because in Springfield I didn't like have like a lot of friends at all. Azaria, who's nine, told us that she also has some friends who are a little older. Well, I usually draw with one of them. She's really nice. And we usually talk and they ask me what's going on. I tell them about school and stuff. But that's mostly one person. We're neighbors, actually. The closest, very close neighbors. She lives in a house. A full house, children and, and adults, and I live in senior housing, which is just one personal, you know. <laughs> and she's delightful. Emily Lewis has known Azaria for four years, ever since she moved next door to her family. Like a lot of the elders living at Treehouse, Lewis had never worked directly with foster care kids before. The challenges are few, but one that has been a real learning experience is to get the kids to trust you. Uh, it took years, actually, several years with some of them, for them to just not see me as a potential threat. And it's been a process. It's a process that seems to be working, at least for Azaria. I'm glad they don't pinch my cheeks like in movies. But there is a big question underneath all the excitement. Can Judy Cockerton's village concept scale up and multiply out? The answer is complicated. Right now, foster families receive, on average, about $25 a day for each kid. That breaks down to about a dollar an hour. I think it's easy to say the foster care system's failing. Joe Ryan is a professor at the School of Social Work at the University of Michigan. The, the kids who go into foster care, they have lower levels of college enrollments, they have higher levels of delinquency, 
But these are problems that a lot of them had coming into the foster care system. So it's not the foster care system per se. Could it be improved? Absolutely. At Treehouse, all families are either planning to or already have adopted their kids, which might explain the 99% high school graduation rate. Ryan doubts that places like Treehouse could fix the entire foster care system, but he does see them as part of a larger network. Everyone always wants to scale their programs. There's no real drawbacks. I mean, in any of these interventions, uh, we ought to view them as contributing to the solution, right? They're not going to work for all kids. As the treehouse model expands across the country, even Judy Cockerton acknowledges that building a bunch of villages is too small scale to change the lives of hundreds of thousands of kids. But like Ryan, she subscribes to that multi-pronged approach. She told me she organizes her communities to support mentorship programs and summer activities, things that are going to involve a lot of foster care kids in the area. So the idea is that the the village is sort of there. It's an anchor. It's a place to gather. Some people live here, but it's sort of it's a hub of innovation. It is a hub of innovation. (laughs) Really? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, We yeah. And if we've said that since 2006, you know, and it's a catalyst for inspiring widespread foster care innovation. Judy Cockerton is now building a second treehouse village in Massachusetts and is finding a site for a third in California. If you want to learn more about her work and about some of the issues that have plagued the foster care system in recent years, you can head to our website, innovationhub.org. Plus, if you want to make sure you don't miss any of our segments, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and every week we will send you a fresh crop of conversations. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.